As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Seven fifty-five is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty is on the air now. Hey, welcome back to 755 is Real. How's everybody doing? Live from uh, Milwaukee here. I just walked into my room about three minutes ago. Our flight got delayed an hour. We had something happen I've never had happen before on a flight. We got, I, it was a, in, one of my infrequent upgrades to first class. So I boarded early and we sat down. The pre-boarding, the first class was sit down. And then they announced that we had too much gas on the plane because the plane had come because of storms elsewhere. They had got the original plane we were supposed to take wasn't there. And this plane was supposed to go somewhere else, a a longer flight. So there was too much gas on the plane to fly to Milwaukee. I have no idea why you would have, why that would matter. You know what I mean? It's not like having too little gas. (laughs) Yeah. I'd rather err on that side. You can't just fly in a couple circles once we get up there. No, but I guess they said we had like, I don't know, 10,000 pounds, too much gas or something like that. So when they said that and they said we either got to defuel, which takes a long time, or we got to get another plane. I'm like, oh, my God, we're going to be here hours. So I was shocked when we had when they got us off the plane and then within like five minutes, they said, we've got another plane and it's right across. It was directly across the uh, concourse, like the next gate. I was, I couldn't believe it was going to be that easy. So we were only an hour late. <laughs> yeah, that story, when you started telling that, it sounded like a three hour delay. Yeah, at least. You got pretty lucky. So anyway, that's why I just walked into my room. So, yeah, it's going to be a... Uh, this could be a lot better series, Braves against the Brewers, than it looked like a few weeks ago, because the Brewers are playing really well now. And I'll tell you what, man, I didn't think Christian Yelich had it in him anymore, but he is back to being Christian Yelich. If you look at his numbers like last 40 games or so, big time. I mean, not quite his MVP numbers, but he's a lot closer to that than he was to what he was doing for the last few years with that bad back. I don't yeah, know what happened, what changed. Cool, yeah, I don't know what changed, but he's hitting. He's raking. 
probably just feeling, you know, finally healthy. I think especially when guys have some decent contracts or come across in a big trade, you feel that you feel that pressure to be out there. But if you're not a hundred percent in this game, it's it's hard to it, you can't really fake it. I mean, and you see guys try to play through it and put up bad numbers. Yeah. And everybody kind of doubts you and says, you know, is this guy done or not? And then they get back fully healthy and they start hitting again. Especially a back, man. Your back, you can't do anything without your back. No. Yeah. It just, in baseball, as more than anything, it's so rotational. You know, uh, yep. you, you, you're, it just, you, everything you do, throw, hit, everything is so tied into your back. Yeah, it's but, funny when I when I came into the game, it was, I mean it was a different game, and it was kind of the hardo stuff of you need to play through everything. And I would, I mean, I'd pitch. You know, I, I I stepped on a ball in the outfield uh, in Milwaukee actually one time and rolled my ankle, and I it was swelled up halfway to my knee, and I pitched that night. But when my back went out, I could not do a thing. And I remember early in my career, you know, guys would be like, "What do you mean your back hurts? You can pitch through that." And then these yeah. guys slowly <laughs> over the years would finally have their backs go out on them too. Right, right. And it would completely open to their eyes. He's like, I can't do anything. I can't, can't even move. Yep, yep. <laughs> I shouldn't Man, that totally happened to me, it. dude. It happened yep. to me because I was one of those that would question guys when they missed like three or four games with back spasms. Yep. I'd never had a back spasm. I'd never had a, tie, a back really go out, as they say, until one time I did. I tightened up a spring train. I get on a plane to go home during spring training, pick my bag up to put it in the overhead, and my Got back that just completely – it just like it went yeah. out it was like i was like oh my god I, it was all i could do to get the bag up there and when i got home by the time we landed it was so fried and yep. uh, the next morning i literally could not get out of bed literally to yep. use the bathroom yeah and it took me like 30 45 minutes to be able to just roll out of bed to get to the bathroom and at, at that point I mean, a few hours later, I was—I I thought I was well enough to walk down to my mailbox. I got a sloped driveway. Halfway down the driveway, I go to my knees. It gripped. It, <laughs> my back went out. And if anybody was watching, any neighbor, they would have thought I got a, I, I, it was Shot. a sniper. It was a sniper. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm never questioning a guy having a bad back again. Because if I was a baseball player and this happened, it, there is do. no way you can even like shoot it up and play with that. Nope. The only thing that would help me was this thing called a dose pack. It's like it's prednisone, yeah. so it's pretty strong anti-inflammatory. Yeah. But even then, I needed the full – it takes about three or four days to kick in. I needed four, five, six days just to be able to move again. And then it was two or three yeah. days of, of stretching and, and starting to feel better. But you were still kind of banged up for a month. Yeah. So, I, don't, I mean, I think it, sometimes it's just something like that, you know, and, and he's playing – if he's playing through it. I mean, you're just you're not going to rotate the same, even if you're finding a way to go out there. So anyway, he's raking and uh, they're playing well, and you know they got a great manager. Uh, Craig Council always has his team playing well down the stretch, or, or you know, I know the last couple of years they haven't been quite the the same, but they're solid, man. They, it's a team that gets it done without a huge payroll, so it's a good matchup with the Braves, and it's going to be interesting pitching wise. They're not going with their they don't have their best going. The Braves don't. But they don't have to face Corbin Burns either. He pitched yesterday, so that's that's a that's a relief. But it's going to be interesting because you got Soroka going tonight against Freddie Peralta, and Soroka looked a lot better in the last couple starts. Uh, the Miami, when he didn't have the same results as he had in Cleveland, 
but uh, he told me he actually felt better. The, the Miami, he just got had a had a couple of balls, a couple of mistakes were hit out. But um, then he went three innings in relief the other day, which served basically as a start between because it had been so while been so long since he started. They wanted to get him some innings, and uh, he pitched well except for the home run he gave up. So. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does here. The ball flies here, as we've seen, especially, you know, when that roof's closed and, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but I, the one that I'm really looking forward to, just because I've never seen the guy, I don't even think I saw him in spring training. Alan Winans uh, gets called up, added to the 40-man, and makes his major league debut with a start uh, Saturday against Adrian Hauser. Who's two three two three seven nine? This is uh, Winans is going to be twenty eight next month, and he's had solid numbers. He's bounced around, been on, pitched on a lot of teams, man. And I think it's one of those where the Braves are piecing together the back of that rotation, you know, until they get Freed back. And you know, Soroka, they want to solidify one of those spots, but somebody had to make this start. They love to give their guys an extra day of rest and. There's been some speculation. I've heard some people, and, I, and I'm not going to dismiss it outright, that they could be showcasing this kid. And Braves don't usually do that, but with a 10-game lead, and if you have a team called and said, you know, we'd like to see this Winans guy throw in the major leagues, who knows? I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibilities that they, that, that they would do it because it's not like he's going to go out and embarrass himself, or he shouldn't, but with the numbers he's put up at, uh, at Gwinnett. You know, he's been solid, not sensational, but solid. He's got uh, Gwinnett this year, 7-3, and 2-8-1 ERA in 18 games, 13 starts, decent strike, good strikeout-to-walk ratio, 89 strikeouts, uh, 25 walks in 102 and two-thirds. So he's obviously not a guy that's going to overpower people and pile up strikeouts, but that's pretty good. Uh, that's almost 4-1 uh, walks to strikeouts or strikeouts-to-walks. And it's given up nine homers, which is high for him. You look at that's like a career high for him, home runs. He's been he's been able to keep the ball in the park for the most part. Um and he's got a really good what really good whip. What one point oh oh is what I'm seeing right now on Savant. Unless that I thought it was a little higher than that on the baseball reference when I looked. But anyway, this uh this should be uh this should be interesting. This should be interesting. You said he's twenty six? Twenty eight next month. Okay, so that's, I mean, I would think that's why you'd want to see him pitch in the big leagues because nobody's acquiring a guy at 28 thinking sure. two, three day, years down the road. Sure. You know, somebody wants maybe a a steal of a deal, you know, on a on a back of the rotation arm or something they could use this year to try to win. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he's bounced around. He's been with some organizations uh, pitching what? Everywhere from the Kingsport Mets to the Brooklyn Cyclones and the Mets organization and uh, the Rumble Ponies, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. <laughs> so it's another one of those guys. I mean, they, man, they are using you're using all the depth they have and some depth we didn't know they had. And it's amazing, man. They just had a, they, you know, the, the, the a lot of the fan base was in full panic mode when they lost four out of five. They lost two home. They lost they, after winning eleven consecutive series. The Braves lost both series on this homestand against the White Sox and the D-backs. Lost two out of three in each of those. So they lost four out of six on that homestand. 
They gained a game in the standings. <laughs> they lost. I two, know, isn't that crazy? They lost two home series. They gained a game in the standings. They're now at ten and a half games. Nobody yeah, else is even half that big a lead in the majors. Well, somebody else behind them's got to falter too. You know, I mean, there's so many times this year if you looked at it where they you know, just say you go ten and two or something like that and don't pick up a game. You know, that, right. that starts to get frustrating. But whoever's chasing them's got to be exhausted. Yeah, the the Marlins have, have, are not playing as well as they were for uh, you know for three months, and the Phillies had been hot, but then they stumbled a little bit. They had a chance to catch to make up a couple of games against the Braves, but they kind of was one of those where they lost on all the days the Braves did. You know, so they gained I think one game, but they were further back than the Marlins. So now they're even with the Marlins. Yeah, I mean, it's this team's tough to catch. So, but anyway, after everybody goes into kind of full panic mode. And then yesterday, man, that, that it was one of the wildest homestands I can ever remember. Some of those games, like the 16-13 game, some of those games were just ridiculous. The, yeah. Ridiculous. I mean, that game that, that, that they lost 16-13, it was, I swear to God, it felt like a Coors Field game pre-Humidor. Totally felt like that. Like where yeah. no lead, there's no, no three, five-run lead is safe. I was just thinking we answered that question about uh, should they move Riley in the order and said no. Yeah. And that idea is yeah. Well, get this, man. I had I had went up to Sites on the first day of the uh, of that series and talked to Sites after batting practice. I said, "All right, what's going on with Riley, man? What's what's wrong?" And he went through the whole thing about he's thinking too much. He's he's worried about what pitch is coming, where my hands at, where my you know, am I going to be late? Am I doing? He said he's thinking about everything, and then he's thinking about so much that he can't focus on that little white round thing that he's got to hit. Yep. So he told him that day in the cage, in the, in the indoor indoor cage before uh, B, regular BP, they went in there and he said, "Tonight you're just going to go out there and relax. All right, don't think about all this other stuff. Let's go the out ball. there, relax." And Austin said it was the first time that he really just – he went into that series. and went into the off days. He thought about it a lot on the off day between series that he's just got to have fun, relax, and stop stressing about everything and worrying, you know, the paralysis by overanalysis. And, uh, I mean, he goes out there and gets immediate results. I told Sites after that game, I was like, well, I guess the key is for me to go up and ask you about somebody. What's wrong with somebody before the game? Yeah. <laughs> and Sites started laughing. He said, I was thinking the same thing during the game when he was just – crushing thanks <laughs> had, thanks for asking <laughs> he had the two homers and a double he ends up having four homers in a three-game series you know after having like one homer the, the previously all month and two rbis had 11 rbi he had a seven rbi game career high so i mean if he just does it one game you know you go okay we'll see what happens That's exactly you think could be a pitcher whatever but he had the whole series where he was locked in so I think that's going to be the, the one we look back at and go, that's where it turned, the season turned for Austin Riley. Yeah, and he's just got to stay there, you know, mentally. It's it's almost like an addiction. You know, you, you, you just get so addicted to fixing your swing and fixing things that you're always trying to find the reason, and it feels good to find the reason and take it out into the, into the game and succeed. And the thing is, though, is you get into this habit of if you miss a pitch or if you're a pitcher and you hang a slider, it's it's like – you want to know this deep reason why, you know, what was the yeah. big mechanical thing? I guess sometimes you got to just be like, I missed it. Cause I missed it. It's baseball. And then take another swing. You know, a lot of guys get caught in between, but sometimes the best thing for you is just exactly what he talked about. Just, 
go hit that white ball. Like, don't, don't put any more thought into it. You know, you're a great athlete and just be it. His OPS had slipped. We talked about this last week behind everybody on the, uh, all the regulars, including both catchers, all the regulars except Michael Harris. And we said a couple more games and Harris is going to pass him. Well, right. in just three games, here's how much that changed. He's now got the third highest OPS on the team. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, fifth highest OPS on the team behind Acuna, Murphy, Olsen, and Albies. But Riley is now ahead of Darno, Arcia, Rosario, Ozuna, and Harris. <laughs> they wow. have three games. That changed. Now he's up to 807. He has another series like that. He'll be up to about 840, 850. <laughs> but so he's got, I mean, even the home runs and everything is, is right where you want him to be. It's just that. The swing and miss had been piling up so much, and he hadn't had any home runs in July, just one. So, but he's got, all of a sudden, boom! You look at it; he's got four, he's got twenty homers <laughs> and fifty six yeah. RBIs. Yeah. He's gonna so, hit 30, 35. Yeah, gonna he's be gonna fine. end up being there. <laughs> I mean, this team's got this team's got uh, seven guys with fifteen or more homers, four guys with twenty or more homers, twenty or more homers already, and we're what, 90, how many games in? I mean, that's crazy, man. Yeah, there's two months left. Yeah, Olsen's got 32, 90 games. He's, Olsen's uh, got more homers than any Brave in history through 90 games. You think about some of the guys that had, I mean, Hank Aaron, Chipper, yeah. Andrew. He's got more homers than Andrew had through 90 the year Andrew hit the, the franchise record. The 51? Yeah, he's going he's gonna to break that record, man, shatter it if he keeps this up. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply that for six innings yesterday was the best best pitchers duel i've seen all year 
Yeah. With Strider Gallon, total domination, which I was really surprised that they were both able to go so long as they did because it was hot and humid yesterday, man. Started at 1220, but both of those guys were locked in for six innings and then it just fell apart for Spencer. I thought, I thought Snit left him in too long. I know why he did because the bullpen's kind of been in, you know, on fumes and has had injuries. But man, when he walks a guy and then hits the next guy, up by the head, I'm thinking, okay, that's not like him. This is all gone. Because to that point, I mean, he had, he had 12, uh, 13 strikeouts, what, through five innings. Yeah. Yeah, you're thinking, I thought, man, we had just talked about 20 strikeout games. I was like, we might yep. get to one. I thought so, too, because he was so efficient early. But when he, hit the, when he walked the guy and hit the guy, he looked totally, he looked like it was gone then. Because we've seen that happen with Spencer a few times before earlier this year. And he was up around 90 pitches at that point. And I thought, okay, that's the time to get him out. I'm not just saying this in retrospect. I, hindsight's twenty twenty, But I really felt like watching the game, now's the time to get him. He hit the, he just hit the guy. But I can see where Snit would want him to get, you know, strike out the next guy, get out of this jam, and then that's it, get through six, and boom. But, I mean, it was – it was uh, – it just um, – it just – the bottom fell out because then he gives up back-to-back jacks, man. And you go from having this incredible game with 13 strikeouts and no walks before that inning and, and a shutout to all of a sudden you've given up two walks. You've given up a walk, a hit batter, and two home runs and four runs. And you're you're in line to lose the game. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't have a problem leaving him. It's almost like. You know, I get kind of caught in between now because I, I think about it and I'm like, well, he's got to learn how to do this if you want to, you know, take him deep in the postseason, blah, blah, blah. But then you right. look at how the teams are running the postseason. You want five out of your starter or six. <laughs> it, teams yank their starters so quick. But ideally, you let him kind of get into this territory as much as possible and find out if he's a guy that can keep going or not, or if when he does that, you need to yank him. But I, I think the only way to find out for the postseason is to give him chances to do it now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see what he was doing. I just I just felt like it was – he wasn't getting it back after I thought the walk and the hit batter, and especially after the first home run, the three-run homer. You know, at that point, maybe it's because you don't have somebody up. I don't know why. Well, how about quick? Yeah, it happened so quick, man. It really did. And then you're facing, you know, bottom of the lineup, right? So you're thinking, yeah, you can get through this inning. We're already down. We'll save some relievers. And then he gives up another homer, and you're like, shit, he might really not have it. That wasn't a, you know, you kind of find out that inning wasn't a fluke. He was actually tired. Right, right, exactly. And when he when he gets tired, man, it's pretty obvious. When it goes, it goes. And I think I think Snit will will get a better handle on that because it's happened several times. But anyway. Um Regarding Winans, yeah, uh, AG on here says his velo is low 90s, but he has a really good mix. Change, four-seam curve, sinker, slider, cutter. Yeah, he's one of those guys. I mean, he's bounced around for a reason because he doesn't have, you know, a dominant pitch, but he's fit, but he pitches. So who knows, you know? Those guys can succeed in the game, as we've talked about, because there's such a different look. There's so few of those guys now that are using five, four or five pitches and throwing in the low 90s, like uh, Bryce Elder. That used to be every starter in the game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like every single guy was low 90s with a four-pitch mix. It really now was. About, like, I don't know if he can <laughs> – I mean, I guess it's possible. You know, that used to be 90% of starting pitchers, and now we're talking about maybe it's possible. 
That's great. <laughs> now it's like one out of 15, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess you can get away below the hitting speed, but, you know, you're going to have to be really good. Who starts at DH in the playoffs, Darno or Azuna? Well, that decision is not going to be made now. That decision is going to be made. I mean, if Azuna all of a sudden starts hitting like he did in April or May, he won't even be on the postseason roster. If he keeps hitting like he has for the most part for three months, he'll be the DH. DH yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Darno, and, and then I think you could do a matchup situation. There might be a pitcher that Darno has really seen well or, you know, uh, say say uh, Azuna has starts out 0 for 8 with six strikeouts in the first two games. I just yeah, think it'll be one of those where you have to make the decision then, not you know, not go into it locked into either, anything. There's no way to even. I mean, it's crazy how long the baseball season is. There's yeah. no way to tell who's. I mean, you might be talking about who's your number one, who's playing center field, who's doing this. There's so much crap that happens in the baseball season that gets getting really far ahead of ourselves. Uh, Bradley J asks, is there something behind the Braves having the longest active streak without losing five in a row? Yeah. They're the only team in the majors that has not lost five in a row since 20, since the start of the 2018 season, not one five game losing streak. They ended that one yesterday four at four. Uh, other great teams have had five plus game skids since then. Yeah, most other teams have had like eight game skids since then. And absolutely there's something about it. That goes back to what we've talked about so many times. That is purely chemistry yeah you gotta have good players but like you said there's great teams that have eight game losing streaks there's dodgers have had several more than five um that goes back to chemistry and who's the guy at the top that the that even kill approach that he that he they live by never getting too high never panicking never getting all excited about you know we've won four in a row and it, you know, it, it, it serves them so well when they've lost three or four in a row because they do not panic and they all like each other and they all get along. They don't start pointing fingers going, well, it's this guy, you know, off the record saying, you know, under their breath, if this guy would start hitting, if this guy, they don't do that. I'd that be willing to bet that know the exact number and at any point when they've lost a few in a row. I'd be willing to bet that if you went up and asked the guy, like, you know how many games you guys have lost in a row? They'd know they've been playing shitty for a few days, but they wouldn't uh-huh. know four or five or six. Right. Because every day's a new day, and everybody acts the same every day in that clubhouse. That clubhouse really, I mean, I, I the, if they've lost two or three in a row, there is no difference in that clubhouse than when they've won two or three in a row. Absolutely yep. no difference. When you get it, when they let us in that clubhouse at 3.30 in the afternoon at home game, you would never know when you walk in if they've just won two or three in a row or they've lost two. You, there's, they are the exact same every day. Because you play 162 games. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, can't, you cannot afford to ride that roller coaster mentally. I was, I was actually uh, talking to a buddy about that last night, that my first major league season felt like 17 months. <laughs> because, because I was so invested in every day and, you know – Every game was felt like the World Series to me because I was a rookie, and it was like you have to learn to contain all that, or it feels like it feels yeah. like forever, you know. And and I I just I didn't get out of bed for like two days when the season was over because I was just mentally exhausted. And you have and to I, learn how to control that, or it just eats you alive. I think with some managers, um, even if they're like experienced, you know, in the minor leagues or. Maybe they were. Maybe they had a few years in the big leagues. They were like a scrub player or something or whatever. But I, 
or, or, or just an okay player or whatever. I think yeah. some guys, though, when they're managing a team and all the pressure's on them and they're making all, they're calling all the shots and making the decisions, they're getting interviewed every day, I think they can get more excited or down or panic than someone who really, I mean, their livelihood isn't dependent on this job. In other words, if Snick got fired tomorrow, which he's not going to, but if, if he got fired tomorrow, He's going to go play with his grandkids. He's had a great career. Yeah. He's done. Yeah. You know, does he want to win? As bad as anybody. But there's a difference, you know. He's not panicking going, oh, my God, if we don't start winning, I'm going to get fired. Or, oh, my, what then what am I going to do? It, there's a difference. You know, and I think a guy like even a, a guy like a David Ross, after a few years managing, I, probably, I think probably approaches it a little differently than he did in the first year. Um. You know, somebody that was a good player and played a long time and is a really smart guy. I just think there's something to being being an even-tempered guy that just doesn't get too excited. And I think those kind of managers are really good. I mean, Bobby Cox was a fiery guy. But yeah. when it came to handling a team, as you know better than I do, he was the even kill, right? I mean, he was the always, don't get too excited. Don't get it. We're, we're fine. We're going to be fine. They've lost three or four in a row. We're going to be fine. Oh yeah, I mean, like I said, I've said in the past, but I would—I played for certain managers that wouldn't even look you in the eye if you weren't pitching well for them. Right. And I mean, I don't know if—I don't know if Bobby, what if he just had a full understanding of he should never give you that vibe because he's going to need you today. Yeah. But I mean, every day I saw him, he said the same thing to me. He'd walk by you in the hallway and you'd say, "Way to go, oh." <laughs> yeah. And then he'd just keep—you know—he'd give you a high five and keep walking and. I don't. I did. You know. I mean, I, you never felt that it, when you feel that energy of a manager just walking by you and ducking into a broom closet just to avoid saying hi to you. Like I played for yeah. one guy that would go around and talk to everybody in the outfield, and there'd be like one or two guys, and we'd all watch it because we knew who was sucking on the team, and we weren't going to treat each other like that. But we'd watch him go from right field, and he'd see like a shitty reliever shagging in right center. He'd walk in and talk to the second baseman. And then he'd go out to center field and talk to whoever was out there. So he yeah. just completely avoid that guy. But he was, you know, I think he was more doing it so the cameras would see him out talking yeah. with players and stuff. But he's like, I don't want to talk to this reliever, whoever it was. But you feel that, you know, you, you kind of take that with you. And the next time he calls you into a game, you don't want to get treated like that again. So that's on your mind instead of the pitches you're supposed to throw. Man, Bobby was like, and Leland was like this too when I was covering him. Bobby would be, we'd be, we'd be in the dugout talking to Bobby. He did the pregame sometimes at a dugout, um, especially on the road. And we'd be in there with him and somebody would go by, a reliever would go by, or, or a big, one of the key guys on his team. And it didn't matter who it was. Bobby yep. would look, well, that guy would look at Bobby, you know, and, and, and like you said, not try to avoid eye contact with Bobby because he knew Bobby was going to have something good to say. And that guy would like kind of make eye contact with Bobby and go, Bobby be like, all right, kid. All right, Andy. He'd say to Andrew Jones, all right, Andy, go get him. Go get him. You know, it's just, every day, you know, like, every single you know, day, relentlessly. I mean, no matter what you could have, you could have blown a 10 run lead the night <laughs> before, and you're still getting that the next day. It's so important. And that's who Snit learned from. Yep. You think it sounds kind of corny. You would think it sounds kind of corny, like a high school or junior high coach, but it's not when Bobby did it. Bobby, not it when it's Bobby Cox. Yeah. <laughs> All right, kid. All right. They tap you on the butt or whatever. Go get him. All right. All yeah. right. Let's go. Let's go, Andy. Just out of the out of the blue. It's like he's just going out on the field to shag balls. Let's go, Andy. All right. All right, Andy. 
<laughs> yeah, right. I mean, when you have the gravitas he has, it's not anything. It's Bobby Cox, man. Yeah, he tells you you're doing great. You're doing great. And a guy might walk, and a guy might go by. And he got the outfield, and he, Bobby might look to us and go, oh, "I got to get him going," you know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But he never let them feel that. Nope. And never. I remember. I remember actually hearing that a few times. That because Bobby would say this to you too. You know, if you could go out there and you're pitching, and you walk like two or three guys, and he hates walks, right? So you could do that and. Bobby come out to the mound and he'd be like, that fucking uh, he's that umpire squeezing you. I'm going to let him have it. You know, and he'd yeah. say some stuff like that to you to kind of let you <laughs> get off the hook. And then he'd turn to the catcher and say something com- with a completely different tone when you walked yeah. away. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck's wrong with him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't I could send him to Gwinnett. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we would see the real, what he was really thinking about that person, but man, he never let that guy worry about all oh, shit. I'm going to get sent down. He was just no, so well, that pressure, you know, that hanging over you. That's, that's guys yeah, already worried enough about man. getting sent down. So if you get if you get the cold shoulder from the manager, you're like, oh great, one more bad outing. I'm definitely going to Gwinnett. But it, it just turned into this defensive style of play. And yeah, of it, it's not going to accomplish anything. But I think most people can't avoid doing that. I mean, they can't let their emotions show. Sometimes it's emotional. They think, yeah. yeah, they just don't think. Uh, they don't think about that. That what you say and the tone you say it to that guy is probably going to affect them, but not in the, not in the way you want it to. It's well, cause they're legitimately them. mad at you. You know, I mean, they're yeah. answering questions after the game because of what you did yesterday and they see you the next day and you made them look bad and they're legitimately angry with you for mm-hmm. exactly putting them in that position where they've got to answer all these questions to the media. And they they're probably answering the questions to the media right now when you walk by in the dugout or Bobby yeah. would be. And he'd still tell you way to go, oh, and then go yep. right back to you know what movie should have made or what happened. Yeah, yeah, and the same thing that goes with uh, never throwing a guy under the bus. Very, very rarely will Snit do it, and very rarely, even more rarely, did Bobby do it. Now, you know, if somebody did something obvious that just could, he would say, you know, we can't do that, whatever. But that's that. But he wouldn't like berate the guy and embarrass him, you know. Nope. He would, it would be maybe, maybe two or three times a year. Maybe he would say, we can't do that. He's got, he got to do better than that. He knows he can't make that play. That's it. But that's it. But it wouldn't be the daily thing where a losing team and a losing manager or a guy that's not established or whatever, or is worried about his job where he's letting the media know why they lost. It wasn't on me. You know, he knows, you know, he's got, he's got to pass the buck. And Bobby, yeah, well, they make that. a comment like, "Well, I got to use the relievers I have." Right, exactly. You know, it's like that's so coded for it's not my fault. These guys suck. Yeah. What do you want me to do? You will not hear Snit say that ever. Yeah. He'll he'll con- he'll he'll concede that it's a challenge, like like uh, fielding putting together a bullpen when you have so many injuries. But that's the extent yeah. of it. He won't ma- he won't make it sound like these guys suck that I have or anything like that. Yeah. And he'll defend guys to the T, man, like, uh, you know, workloads and all that. And, you know, say that's the hardest job in the, ba- in the business. I mean, the relief pitching is just such a hard job. And, you know, so, you know, it's just th- this is a long way of saying that's the reason why this team doesn't lose more than four in a row. That's it. It's just that there, it's just a different mindset than it is on so many other teams. I agree 100 percent. That I mean, it's pressure just builds, you know. I mean, that's why we've watched over the years and just said, 
we thought Buck was perfect for New York, but that's that place for me is the perfect example of yep. when they're going great, they're going great. But when stuff starts going south, the the, the media there, I mean, they will yeah. ask some questions and get in some people's heads and put some pressure on the team. And the fan base seems to eat it up, you know, and I, I know that even their broadcasters kind of, they love some drama, you know, and then all of yeah. a sudden there's just more and more pressure on the team and they collapse and they got the squad they have this year. And I don't even know what the record is, but it's not going too hot. Look at, look at, look at Texas with, uh, with Bochi. Look what a difference Bochi has made down there. His yep. first year and the guy's old as hell and can barely walk on the field, man. I yep. mean, he's got, he's got trouble walking on the field, but look at the effect he's had on that team. I mean, it's not just, that many different guys on that team, but they are playing so much better than they did a year ago. Without DeGrom. Exactly. They're leading the Astros, man, who also yeah. have managers like that, the ultimate guy like that. But they're playing, See, and that's, they're playing that's, up to their talent. That's the hardest thing about all the analytics and, and wanting new age managers and younger managers and all this stuff is I just, like we've talked about, you just there's no way to put a value on. Right that leadership and what it means yeah. to have somebody that has your back. And I can't tell you how many managers there are that, I mean, they'll get the job and guys are thinking, why that guy sucks. Not that he sucks. Like he doesn't know baseball, but he sucks to be around. Yeah. And he treats people a certain way, but he knows who's back to scratch. And these guys work their way into positions and you're just looking at them like, that's yeah. not going to go well. And a, a lot of times it starts out great, but then they hit that first rough patch and you see how the manager kind of, you know, starts to crack and starts to say some stuff and, and play some favorites and do all these things. And pretty soon by the end of the year, you know, especially for players, we can always look at it and just say, yep, saw that coming, you know, 15 games under 500. And, and that's why you get, and that's why it all starts at the top too. It's why you got to have the right guy in the GM spot, man, because it's you not might treating win. the manager like that. Yeah. Yeah, you might have a team that wins occasionally because you have just have so much talent. But over a long stretch of years, you've got to have the right GM making those moves and listening to the people around him or, or it's just not going to work because he's not going to have that feel for the personnel on the team to hire the right manager, to hire the right coaches, to listen to his manager about which coaches he should have and which players he should bring in. You know, you got to have the right GM, and they, the Braves have got the perfect one for this team, man. This guy listens to everything. He's got his finger yep. on the, the thumb on the pulse of the team because he listens to all these coaches. He, you know, he yep. talks to Snit and Wash and, and Cranny and Sykes. He talks to them, and, you know, he doesn't act like he knows more than all they do, you know, like a certain general manager they had um, in the past. <laughs> it's like – that thinks he knows everything. Uh, it just to be it, when you are, when you, he's so humble. I, Alex is so humble. He doesn't talk about you know he's a smart. He doesn't act like he's the smartest guy in the room. Even though I think he probably usually is the smartest guy in the room. But to be to know that you you didn't play the game at the highest level and you've got a bunch of coaches out here who did. So that so they let's really go ahead and listen to that chemistry play. thing. Yeah, it just you know he knows he knows that Snit has been. He would never even dream of firing Snit or or no. forcing Snit out because he's getting old or whatever. As long as they, I mean yeah. this thing they got going right now, this is their window to win because who knows? I mean he'll be really careful if he's the GM that replaces Snit when Snit decides to hang it up. But who knows how well it's going to work after that? Because that is going to be a really hard job to fill and keep this thing moving the way it is. 
if they've got all the personnel that they have now, which they've got a lot of guys signed long term. That's what I was going to say. Make, is that that's to make that's, a lot easier? Yeah, to make a lot easier. You pick from that uh, kind of class of guys, you know, and they got quite a few guys and candidates and people that those guys know. You know, that's such a great group to have to ask. Like, who should we go with next? Sure. You yeah, know, but there's yeah. there's plenty of GMs that would just pick a hot name or pick Absolutely. a guy that you know or some guy that some guy that they had in the past with another team, yeah. you know. Yeah, that they liked. <laughs> yeah, that they liked. That they were easy they knew they could work with and the guy would do what they wanted them to do, that kind of thing. But I'll tell you, you can look at certain organizations too and see organizations that have tried all kinds of different stuff. Spending money, not spending money, rebuilding, drafting, trading for people, developing talent. They've tried everything you can see possible except yep. like a, a a change from the top down. Yep. And yep. there's teams that you see them sign. They've signed one year, they signed three players, $150 million contracts. They still suck. <laughs> three years later, they've got a new plan. They've had new managers for however long, but they haven't had a change at the top and they're bad for decades. Well, it's like, it's like, I mean, I know Cashman it has a lot of good qualities and obviously, it, you know, it, he's done some good things or whatever, but, how have they never replaced Cashman on all these years that they failed to advance to the World Series spending a quarter of a billion dollars a year? How in the world is, does he always remain? <laughs> I don't know. Preller with the, with the Padres. Preller has tried this like three times. They've gone on spending sprees and brought in all these free agents. And they're like three times. And it's not worked. Sure. And he keeps his job. Yep. But anyway. I mean, there's, there's, there's quite a few organizations you can name where you're like, They've had that guy. Yeah. So they that, guy, that, mother, that dude's the been there for 15 years of sucking. How does he still have a job? And it just some somehow, you know, it's not it's not like a player where it's like you have two bad years. You better start yeah. filling out job applications. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a few of those GMs that I'm like, how does he keep his job, man? <laughs> um Somebody asked, I realized, uh, Matt, Matt R says, I'm, I realized the other day, I don't know, I don't really know the answer to this anymore. Who is the clubhouse leader now? I'm thinking of that old story where Freddie gave Dansby shit for missing a day. That was maybe not a great vibe, but is it gone now? No. This is the team that doesn't have one guy as the, you know, Freddie was the undisputed captain of that team at towards the end of his, you know, time here, last several years, because he had been through. Because he was the only guy that had been through the whole rebuild from the, when they were good to when they were terrible to when they were good again. He was the only guy that had been through, through the whole thing. And slowly over the years, he became more of a leader and, 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 and very assertive. You know, and would talk, call guys out on, on you know, being out of the lineup with, a, with an ache that they could probably play through and that kind of thing. But it's not like that now because they've got so many guys who are established studs, whereas Freddie was on some teams where he was the only really stud. You know, right. you had some guys coming up like Dan's who wasn't established. Uh, Acuna was just coming up, Ozzy, but he was the only real stud. They've got like five or six of those guys right now that have all accomplished a hell of a lot in the game already. And they got a lot of really good guys, too, that yeah. nobody tries to be. Nobody's a prima donna that tries to run the clubhouse and act like what I say is the deciding voice. They don't have a guy like that. Just from guys I talked to and what I've observed, you got some quiet leaders who don't say a lot, but when they do say, people listen. And that's like Matt Olson. Darno, big time, has, has emerged as a real leader. 
but he's not a loud guy or anything like that. He just says things that people listen. Yeah. Uh, he's a real leader. Ozzy Albies has emerged as a leader. He comes across as a, as a fun loving guy, kind of goofy on the field, him and Wash and all that. But he's a real, he wants to win so bad and he wants to do the right thing. He wants to play hard all the time. He's always upbeat and positive. So he's kind of, he's, he's emerged as a leader. And, you know, he's got the, he can kind of go across uh, ethnicities too because he speaks with four languages and all that. So that definitely helps. I mean, that's why Prado, because of Prado's personality and he was a leader, but he was bilingual too. So he was like the yeah, ultimate guy. Bridge. Yeah, he was perfect when it came to that. But Ozzy's got a little bit of that in, that in him. He's not serious like Prado could be, um, you know, but Ozzy, he's got some of that in him for sure. Uh, so there's a lot. And then Acuna with his play has matured yep. so much in the last two years since the injury. He's night and day from when he was before. Now he plays hard all the time. He does the right things all the time. He wants to win as bad as or more than anybody on that team. He never lets foot off the throw. Uh, you know, he's always trying to steal a base. You know, they could be down four runs in the seventh inning and he's trying to steal third base. But, you know, just with his play and how damn good he is and how yeah. hard he plays on top of being the most talented guy on the team and on the field, you know, to then play hard, that that that's leadership too, man, a different kind of leadership, leading by example. So my answer would be they got a lot of guys. It's not one or two. Uh, Sean Murphy came in. Another guy leads by example. So professional and just like, but just so serious, man, about uh, about being prepared. And the pitchers notice it. They trust him. And then you got like like Charlie. Charlie's a quiet guy that everybody knows they can go to and ask anything, and he'll share anything he, he, that he knows. And if he sees a guy throwing a pen and notices something, he'll tell him. But he's another one of those quiet leader types. So it's just a real good mix. Max is one of those guys. Max is, definitely emerged as that. So I, I don't think they have one or two guys like they have had in the past. It's more – it's a real group effort. And with this team, that really is better, I think, than having one guy. I really do. Yeah, I mean, ideally you have a team full of guys that are just doing their damn work, you know, right. and, and they're having fun and everything. But there's something there's something about a guy that has, you know, five to ten years in the league and they just are putting their work in every day. Yeah. I mean, you can you can yell all you want, but if – <laughs> there's a lot of you know guys that were quoted as leaders in the in the papers from when I was right. playing, and we were like, that dude was late today. <laughs> he you know he gives himself special rules. He just goes out of his way to look like a leader, but that's not who we look to for things. Exactly. But this team, you have a a, a bunch of dudes. When you have a bunch of guys that are doing their work, working yeah. their ass off, there's just when you're a young guy, there's just no excuse not to be doing it too. Yeah, you know, if, if you see Matt Olson out there taking ground balls early, yeah, and you just got called up from AAA and you're a little little tired today, and you're just gonna just wait till BP to get your work in. Uh -huh. It's like when you see him out there, you're seeing how it's done. There's no reason for you to just be lazy or not put your work in. But it gets complicated when when your veterans have different rules for you than themselves. Sure, it's like rookies got to be out there for early work, shagging and hitting at this time. But I'm gonna be hung over. And I'll come out and shag on the third group of BP after I play catch with a special catcher that it just, just designated for me. And I don't even, you know, work with the rest of you guys. Yeah. That yeah. type of stuff is the shittiest. Yeah. And there's, and there's others that I named uh, AJ mentor. Absolutely. A leader in the bullpen and, and on the team. I mean, he's been another guy's been here a long time. Um, 
knows how things run, lets guys know it. So they, they, they bring these guys in and they, and they immediately have a bunch of guys that'll show them, make them feel comfortable and show them what's expected. And that's important because especially when you're bringing so many guys from AAA, rather than have, have them feel awkward and make them feel, feel things around and figure out what they're supposed to do. And can I sit here? Can I go in line? These guys make them feel comfortable right away. So there's a bunch of those guys. Austin Riley. I don't know if I mentioned him. Ozuna earlier in the year, somebody, he popped into my head. Yeah, Ozuna had had gave the pep talk, you know, gave that pep talk that uh, who was it that said he had Michael to, Harris? He told him you're one yeah, of the Michael Harris, you're one of the best in the game. Exactly. So Ozuna's there with and and then I asked Ozzy about is is Ozuna like that with you guys? He said absolutely. He's like that. He's like that. He's always like that with us. So yeah, he they doesn't give a, a shit to go around telling everybody what a leader he is. Yep. Yeah. So they have a lot of guys that have uh, that are that have picked up. That have filled that void when Freddie left and then when Dansby left. Um, and I think they've got as much leadership as they ever have. It's just not one or two guys. It's the whole team. And I don't think anybody resents anybody else either when it's all the guys leading and all have responsibility. And it's not one guy telling them what to do, you know, or how things should be run. So I don't I don't really remember a team I was on where we had like a team captain. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was like kind of everybody had their role. Like you knew when I was on the Braves, you knew Chippers, like the judge. <laughs> you know, he's the final. Right. He's the final ruling and everything right. going on. But from there on down, it was like there was just a bunch. There was probably a solid five or ten guys that did things right and spoke their mind, and we're going to let you know if you're out of line. But it wasn't like every day we walked in and didn't know what to do until somebody told us. Yeah. And you know when you have when you have a guy that you know is going to be a Hall of Famer, <laughs> which the Braves <laughs> did when they had yeah. the big three pitchers. You knew Glavin and Maddox were, and as Smoltz kept piling up numbers and moved over to closer and piled up numbers there, you knew he was going to be too. But when you've got guys that are winning Cy Youngs every year, they're going to naturally be the focus of all the attention. They're going to be yeah. asked to speak up, and they're going to always be the guys being interviewed. And then yeah. you got a guy like Chipper Jones, you know, that wins the MVP, you know. Those guys are naturally going to be, and they're not trying to to take over the team. But I think when they're when they're the guys that are everything centered around, and you don't have the kind of strength that you have up and down the lineup, and and, and that you have now, and really your team's built around you know your three or four starting pitchers and a couple of guys in the lineup. I think it's a little different than it is when you when you have so much depth like you have now and so many guys that are established. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not just. There's not three guys they're they're riding. You, you yep. This entire team contributes. Right. All right. Well, we got to wrap it up, but uh thanks for all these uh thanks for all the questions in the comments. We really appreciate it and enjoy the series. It should be a good one. They'll play three here, then be off for a day. It's really weird. They had that long stretch where they had no days off. Now they have two coming up in 4 days around one on each side of the two two game uh, Boston series. After, after they get out of here. But uh, the Braves definitely would like to uh, avoid losing a third consecutive series. And that was a big one, win, big win yesterday to pull out because it, it really had a different feel to the homestand than it would have been if you had lost five out of six and, and you know, and got swept in that series. Yeah, that, and you was, get that was a big one. Series feeling good. And yeah, the other thing is that those are the ones that pile up when you look at the standings at the end of the year. You win by seven or eight games. If you got seven or eight of those, yeah, I mean, that's the whole season right there. Yeah, and you would have had that first five game losing streak. So, yep. 
Anyway, all right. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate it. 755 is real. We're out. Mm-hmm.